This is Peter Bogdanovich. I first met Orson Welles toward the end of 1968, and not long after we met in late January 1969, we began taping our conversations for a book about his career that he hoped would set the record straight. We started in his bungalow at the Beverly Hills Hotel, then resumed a couple of weeks later in Guaymas, Mexico, where Orson was acting in the movie of Catch-22. Later that year, we had other talks back at the Beverly Hills Hotel and then at the Beverly Wilshire, and in 1970, we recorded our conversations at the Plaza Hotel in New York and later at the Hotel Eden in Rome, Italy, and then back in Los Angeles and New York again, and later in Carefree, Arizona. One of our earliest interviews was about Orson's first years in Hollywood and the first picture he planned to make there, based on the Joseph Conrad novel, Heart of Darkness, which he had done as a memorable radio show. He never did make the picture. Did the beard uh, that you grew, this is a legend, the beard that you grew for Heart of Darkness really have a bad effect in, on people in Hollywood? Very bad, but I didn't grow it for them. I'd been wearing it in my tab version of The Green Goddess in Vaudeville. And I came to Hollywood with it still on. It wasn't grown for Heart of Darkness. And I planned to shave it off, and I saw how angry they all were about it. I kept it on. It's as simple as that. Simple perversity, yeah. yeah. No, it, you know, because, it, you know, so Ward Bond wanted to cut my necktie off and all that because I had a beard, you know. And so, you know, the temptation was too great. I, I hated having the beard, but with all those kind of characters... Didn't like it. He didn't like it. It seemed to indicate it to keep it on. Yeah. <laughs> and that was really... Uh... wasn't for Heart of Darkness. I didn't. I knew perfectly well. Heart of Darkness was going to take months to get ready. I could have grown that beard much later. Mm. It was just literally left, left over from the vaudeville tour. And uh, was it true that... Uh, you... uh, I thought it might make me look a little older. I was such a baby-faced fellow, and I thought when I came, they wouldn't mind me so much if I looked a little older with a beard. Instead, it irritated them when I found that out. Kept it on. Yeah, I kept it on just to irritate people like Ward Bond, who wouldn't want to irritate Ward Bond. <laughs> <laughs> what about the... Uh, is it true that uh, your first, pa first party was boycotted? I never gave a party for for two or three years. No, no. I know where that story comes from. I remember it was my Christmas party for the Mercury, for all my people, and uh, uh, I gave them all presents I had under the tree. And I'd just been divorced, and I was living alone there with my daughter in my, this big house in Beverly Hills and I had all these packages and everybody came in and took their Christmas presents away. And I woke up Christmas morning and there was nothing under the tree because nobody had given me anything. That's where the boycott it comes from. Nobody stayed away. It was just a... They <laughs> took what they wanted. Yes. That's a, <laughs> just a joke, joke story like that. No, nobody ever stayed. I, these were terribly nice to me in Hollywood, really. They were. When you very, nice, very nice. There was a big gang of people I never got to know who carried on about me and wrote things and all that, but they weren't people I ever met. Mm -hmm. People I met were wonderful to me, including the old dinosaur producers and everything. I really, it's not true. I was bad. And, other, and how about uh, the older directors? Marvelous. They were the nicest of all to me, the ones I met. As I told you, I never met, uh, um, what's his name? McCary. McCary. 
But everybody was... I can't complain. All that thing about badly treated isn't true at all. I never never uttered a word of complaint or had any reason to. The people who say that, you know, uh, Citizen Kane is a result of Greg Tolan, uh, it's kind of nonsense because all your pictures look the same and you only worked with him once. I mean, they all look... They all have the same signature anyway, and visually. So... Uh, well, he was a superb cameraman, and uh, uh, he was, you know how I happened to use him. He came to my office. He was then the number one cameraman in the world, and he was just sitting out in my office. And uh, I said, uh, who, who are you? And he said, my name is Greg Tolan, and I want you to use me in your picture. And I said, why? He said, well, because I saw some of your plays in New York, and uh, I want to make a picture with somebody who never made a movie. He said, who did the lighting in your pictures and, and their plays. plays? And I said, I did. He said, well, fine. Now, because he said that, I believed that it was then definite in my mind that the lighting was done by the director because it never, occurred, it never occurred to me that it wouldn't be. So for the first 10 days of Citizen Kane, I moved the lights around and gave the orders. Yeah. And behind me, without my knowing it, Toland was balancing it, telling everybody to shut up. And he got very angry when somebody finally came to me and said, you know, that's supposed to be Mr. Toland doing that. Oh, that's the most fascinating I ever heard. Yeah. He was, he was protecting me. He was protecting me, so he was fixing it so it would work on film. Yeah. But I was I was placing the lights, and then and he said it's the, the only way to learn anything is from somebody who's never made movies. That's why I made the picture. And he was also the fastest cameraman I've ever worked with, and used less lights. That just the young European directors, the cameramen, are beginning beginning to do to, to work the way he did automatically. He had this extraordinary crew his own men. You never heard a sound on a Tolan set, you know, except made by actors and directors. There was never a voice raised, there were only signs given. Almost Germanic, it was so hushed. Everybody wore neckties. The crew. The crew, yes. And uh, I became closer to Ford during Kane because Tolan talked about him all the time and loved Ford very much. And I used uh, extras who were Ford extras. Who talked about him? Yes. And then after the picture was released, I got a, a beer bottle label which had been signed by Ford and all of his people on some drunken boat trip which was a dedication to be a kind of award for the picture. And I still hadn't met him. Yeah. When did you meet him? Uh, no, a little after that, a little after I received that. And never got to know him very well. I only got to see a lot of him when he was uh, offering me the last hurrah. Yeah, which you told me about. Yes. It didn't work out. But didn't work out, but no fault of his or mine. It was just a, a foolish accident. Oh, yes, you told yeah. me that. that. would have been a great thing. Would have been wonderful to have worked with him. Well, I wish I could have done it. And he came on the set of Touch of Evil many times. Mm. Talk about it. 
Now, uh, on uh, about Toland, uh, how did you then, what was he like to work with? How did you work with Marvelous, him? marvelous, because... Uh, Once you were told that it was his job, what happened? Uh, then he went, but he went on asking me, you know, uh, trying to get me, and of course I was much more hesitant after that, hmm. naturally, because I felt I'd stepped on his feet, but it was the opposite. He was really enjoying it. And uh, then I began to uh, ask a great many of the kind of, uh, you know, depth, all those kind of things, those, uh, you depth know, of depth of focus things. We made up a word, you know, pan focus for a publicity word. And for many years it kept turning up in highbrow articles. And there is no such thing. We just made it up, you know. Uh, well, there came from the fact that I would just sit and say, I, I bet you can do this. And, he, and uh, he had promised me that he was not going to say anything couldn't be done. And so, of course, the greatest gift a, a young director could ever have is a cameraman who would do anything you asked. And if it had to be split screen, it was split screen. But we did it. There was never anything I thought up that he said uh, couldn't be done. In our next exchange, when Orson talks about direction, he means screen direction, a very odd-seeming rule based on the problems of a two-dimensional medium. For example, to show a figure going from left to right on the screen, the camera must always remain on that figure's right-hand side. By moving the camera to the left-hand side, although in fact the figure may still be going in the exact same direction as before, he will appear on the screen to have changed direction and to be going from right to left. This basic fact often requires complicated applications and always takes a little getting used to. There was just one terrible moment about the third day when I found out about directions and I couldn't understand that. We had to stop for three hours because I couldn't understand why if he went off that direction he had to come in from another. You know, <laughs> now I'm the master of it. I'm hateful. I know better than the script girl or anybody. I've got it absolutely mastered, never wrong. But I couldn't. It just had to come to a dead stop. And I just gave up. I said, I can't direct movies if you're right. <laughs> and that really makes sense. <laughs> I can never direct a movie. <laughs> That's really funny. You know, I think only a director can understand. Yes. Somebody who's directed a movie can yes. understand. It just threw me too. I said, "What?" Yes. He wasn't looking that way. He can't. Can't make sense. And Tolan had to. He tried to explain it. Yeah. And wonderful script girl I had on that picture, Molly Kent, who's still around, and she and Greg patiently explained it to me. And I, I, I really left for the day. I said, "Just no, no use. I'll have to go back home and." sit and think about it because I can't go on like this doing something that doesn't make any sense just because you tell me it does. <laughs> he was the greatest gift a director could ever, ever have had because, as I say, anything was possible. And he never tried to impress me with the fact that he was doing impossible things, and he was. See, I was calling for things which only an ignorant person could call for, and he was doing them in a way that only a, 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 a genius could. But without coming on as a wonder worker, he never tried to impress me that he was uh, doing anything miraculous. And his point, which uh, he made, he said, you know, there's nothing to it. He said, uh, you, you were lighting the, the 
the set, and you can also be a cameraman. And on one weekend, he says, I'll teach you everything. So we spent a weekend, and he taught me everything there was to know about the camera. Hmm. Now, can you imagine a cameraman admitting that this that, that can all be taught in a weekend? That, that was how big a fellow he was, you know, hmm. near the camera. And I only found out what he was like when the picture was over, and we traveled around. I was going to make a modern dress. Uh, Said you no no Jesus Christ going to make the gospel oh, really? yeah I didn't know. yeah and, and Toland and uh, Perry Ferguson my art director and I went on a tour of the same part of Mexico where I'm going now to do Catch 22 to look for locations it's going to be not modern dress going to be 1890 like a with the scribes and Pharisees were kind of Puritans and you know it was a kind of Western but with the words from the Bible and we so went on the story of Christ. But every word from the Bible, yeah. no, 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 no original dialogue. I never heard of that project. And that went on for some time. What was the name of that project? Do you remember? It's going to be uh, the Life of Christ, or whatever you want to call it. I don't think we ever got a title. Mm -hmm. I finally managed to clear it with Fulton Sheen, <laughs> so it was all right. And we had we had a Catholic contingent in. RKO, very strong one, and when Fulton Sheen said that it was going to be great, he was all for it, then it was, go ahead. What, was this for RKO? Yeah. And why didn't that work out? Well, it was going to be done after Ambersons. Oh, I see. Then, then I did Ambersons, always planning to do this uh, in the next year, because I wanted to do it with Tolan. Mm -hmm. Then he went into the Navy. And... Uh, I was still going to do it, but of course, when I was down in South America, I was fired out of RKO, and that was the end of that. You said there before that you used to sit on the set and just say, I bet you can't do so-and-so to Tolan. Yeah, it's not exactly bet you can't. I'd say, let's do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And instead of his saying, as any other cameraman in the world would, you can't, or if you can, we're going to break ground never broken before, he just went ahead and did it, shooting very fast. Mm. And what kind of things would you specifically, what kind of things would you ask for? Can you give me an example? Well, all those kind of uh, uh, impossible shots, you know, that don't seem impossible anymore. But in those days, they, they were, you know, where you could see, or you were just held focused mainly, things like that. Mm -hmm. And how did you, why did you want it? Well, because it seemed to me unreasonable that you wouldn't see it since the eye does, you know, mm -hmm. just, just from a simple primitive point of view. Mm -hmm. why, why accept a technical limitation if, if the technician is, not, is uh, willing to, um, fix, it. to fix it? Yeah. So in other words, you'd say, I want to see him and I want to see, see him, him, clearly. Mm -hmm. And that was the most difficult thing, wasn't it? Yeah. It required a great deal of light, isn't that what yeah. finally happened? Yes. And or in some cases, split screen in those days. Yeah. We used quite a lot of split screen. And how, for instance, what scene can you tell when me? When I'm typing, when, when Joe Cotton is typing, they notice, and I come in in the background and talk to him and go. Mm -hmm. That's split screen. Really? Yeah. Never could tell. And there's a couple of other split screen, minor things. Yeah. It's quite an enormous amount of trick work, of course, in the picture. It's one long special effect. Took, took months after the picture to get all the opening things done, you know. All those the miniatures and everything. Where they were, I sent them back 
30, 40 times, you know, because you know how phony those things can be. Oh, yeah, terrible. I mean, the castle getting all those kind, All those kind of things. The newsreel, of course, we did every day. We did a piece of the newsreel every day, depending on what makeup oh. I had on. Yeah. And then we'd go and steal it from some place in the back lot, you see, and do a little piece of that, depending on which age I was made up for. Yeah. We'd just run out and grab another piece. And was the film, for instance, in the scene, in the ones where the film was supposed to look very old, was that done with, by the lab? Yes, by the lab. Mm -hmm. And uh, when it opened in Milan, in Italy, the audience stood up and screamed at the projectionist in indignation because they thought they'd got a very primitive American picture with bad quality. Okay. <laughs> yes, terrible it demonstrations. Worked. Yes, it worked. <laughs> but the Italians wouldn't yes. it. Yeah. Uh, was it always, from the beginning, was it uh, you, that you were going to play the part? Was it the song yes, yes, part? oh yes. I'm fascinated with this working with Colin. This must have extended into the other tech technicians as well. I mean, oh yes, it was a marvelous. Uh, I uh, mean, your lack of knowledge and, uh, in a sense, and asking for things that hadn't been asked for. Yeah, and there was a kind of unwritten agreement on everybody's part that nobody was going to not give it to me. It was such a wonderful atmosphere. We had a couple of spies on the set who were enemies, but uh, everybody else hated the spies, so they, they were completely quarantined. Mm -hmm. And you know, the first two weeks of the picture was done without them knowing we were shooting the picture. We said we were making tests because I had never directed a picture. Yeah. So they were, uh, you know, another test, and that was part of the big legend began. Imagine he's been He's been 14 days on camera tests with extras and actors in costume, you know. And we were shooting the picture because we wanted to get started and have, be already into it before anybody, uh, you know, knew about it. So that you wouldn't have the pressure on you. Yes, that's right. Yeah. That was Tolan's idea. Really? No, no, it was Ferguson's idea, I think, the art director. Is that why you uh, gave Tolan uh, credit on the same card with yourself at the end of the picture? I thought he deserved it. Nobody would ever given a cameraman credit uh, except in a list of about eight names until then in the American pictures. Mm -hmm. Now they get, you know, the, the, the second powder puff standby fellow gets a separate card. But in those days, nobody did, you know, except the director and the producer. Yeah, I know. And you took it with him. Yes. The same card. Yes. Which was very generous. Well, I thought he deserved it. Now, about the writing of the script, which is another legendary story, because everybody takes credit for, for it. Uh, that is, people assign credit, like, as you said, your old enemy, John Hausman, assigns credit for the picture, the script to Mankiewicz. It's very funny that he does that, because he deserves some credit himself. It's very perverse on his part, because he's actually a junior writer on it and made some very important contributions himself. Really? Yeah, but for some curious reason, he's never wanted to take that bow. It gives him more pleasure just to show that I didn't write it. And it was such an argument about it <coughs> with Mankiewicz's friends when the picture turned out well. And uh, uh, I wanted 
take credit with him that uh, the secretary who'd kept all the scripts, the ones that I'd done, the ones he did, presented them and it was decided that uh, uh, by the lawyer that there could be no, uh, if it was taken to arbitration, I would, there would be even question whether he got it and certainly no question about whether I did because the scripts were dated. Those that had been written in India or someplace out in the desert where he went with Hausman and those which I had written and there was simply a question of record. Mm. He no. did make very great contributions to it, but it, it isn't true that uh, he was uh, the only writer or even the senior writer on it. Yeah. Well, what, how did the story uh, begin? Uh, an idea of mine, uh, which was to tell, which was basically the idea of uh, Rashomon later on, which is to tell the same story several times, different, see the, exactly the same scene happening. Uh, different, points of different points of view. Vestiges of left it came of that, but it was the, the original gimmick on which, out of which Cain grew. Then a man, we searched for a man who should be the fellow, and Hearst and so on. The, um, the uh, big contribution of Mankiewicz was the Rosebud gimmick, which was his, not mine. I, and I'm still not too keen about it, but I think it's a bit manages to work effectively, but it's, uh, it's, uh, it's got a slight on the uneasy relationship to dollar book psychoanalysis for me. Uh, but it works, so I shouldn't be sour grapeish about it, but his great contribution was Bernstein. He wrote almost all of the Bernstein character. character. It's interesting because that character is... Uh, it's named at least after somebody yeah. in your yes, life. Yes, yes. Well, of course, I, I invented the character. He didn't, and uh, and uh, the, you know, there's all kinds of. Well, you know that Leland is uh, based on George Stevens' uncle. It was Ashton Stevens, who was a drama critic, and a, and Hearst's great friend, and my first great defender in the world and he told me about Hearst all these years and he loved Hearst more than anybody and he'd been a Hearst critic for something like 50 years he was one of the great American drama critics and a man very much like Leland and he saw he was on the set and he saw the movie and thought Hearst would be thrilled by it and then in his old age he was forbidden to write about me he had defended you where? Well, defended oh, me. He had written great reviews of him when I started in the theater. In the theater, I see, yeah. First written about me when I was in Ireland. He, he was written in America about my successes, and then later about me in the theater. And he, all my first great notices were from this character. And all my knowledge of Hearst was more from him than from my father, although my father knew Hearst very well. Mm -hmm. I don't remember much except some long story about putting a chamber pot on a on a flagpole or something like that, but I, I don't remember much of my father. But a lot I got from, from Ashton. Ashton, who taught him to play the banjo in San Francisco. That's how he got to be a dramatic critic. Well, you once made a remark that uh, if Hearst wasn't careful, he you might make a film about Yes. Him. After Kane. But yeah. It, but implicit in Fair that... Fair enough, I think, statement. Yeah, yeah because it's... Uh, uh, the. 
the real story of, of, of Hearst is quite different from Keynes. Uh, uh, Hearst himself as a man is very different and, and uh, would be less sympathetic figure, I think. Cain was very sympathetic, and it isn't really about her. No, no, it's about also there's great stuff from McCormick, you know, and the Chicago Opera and all that. I drew a lot of that from the straight Chicago Opera story. Was it was it in your contract that uh, about the final cut of yeah, the picture? Yeah, that's right. It was. But the important thing was that nobody could see any rushes that come on the set, and that's never happened before until Catch-22. Nobody ever had that. Oh, really? How did you know to ask for that? I did, well, if you sit and try to think of reasons to get out of going to Hollywood, you finally invent that, you know. Oh, I see. Invent it. Yeah, yeah, sure. It wasn't that somebody warned you? No. Or... Just didn't want to come. Um... Did you actually, you said you went to Woody, or you talked to Woody Van Dyke, and he gave you the advice to stay in close and keep, keep it Keep it moving, yes, keep it moving, keep it moving, yeah. Did you, uh, did a lot of directors give you... No, he was the or only or advice I ever got with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, I think it's as good as you can get. It's damn good. <laughs> I love it. Did you write Heart of Dark and Cologne? Yeah. No co-author. And we talked about that. Yeah. The British actor Robert Coote played Roderigo in Orson's Othello. Did you actually start rehearsing Heart of Darkness? No, I made a test of Heart of Darkness with Robert Coote, who later yeah. played, what's his name, and uh, my, my, my fair lady and all that. And in a, a big scene, Robert Coote and two or three other people have shot for one day. A scene from it. Mm -hmm. And how did it look? Well, I guess it looked all right. I don't know. What was the point of the test? What were you testing, in fact? Well, to see what would happen with me in a movie studio with a camera, really, if yeah. you want to know. Yeah. That seemed to work all right, and Coot was terribly good in the scene, and that, that was it. That was it, yeah. And it was at that point around there that you said that line that was quoted, which I always liked, by the... Uh, the movie set was the electric train set. Not really. No, that was after uh, after the picture uh, over. That was when Alva Johnson wrote a series of six articles about me in Saturday Evening Post. No. And I said it to him. And they're great pieces, and you ought to look at them. The best things have ever been written about. Really? And very witty and clever and marvelous. And he worked on it and stayed with me, and he... He was, a, you know, in the best New Yorker yeah. tradition and, and very friendly and funny and everything. And they were in the post. Yeah. Italian. Yeah. In the days when that was a great paper. You know. Yeah. What Orson actually said about a movie set was he called it the greatest electric train set any little boys ever had to play with. <laughs> 